Welcome back to the Las Casas Community Church Podcast. We release episodes on Friday mornings. You can keep up with us on Facebook or on our webpage, both linked in the description below. I hope you enjoy this episode. great picture. Do you remember last time we were talking about who is the pillar of fire in the pillar of cloud? Jesus. Specifically even. Jesus. It, yeah, Jesus. It, isn't that great? Because he's the angel of the Lord that went before them. You know, and who who is the angel of the Lord throughout the whole, whole, uh, the whole Old Testament? Jesus. Jesus. I mean, he seriously is in everything, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Everywhere. Yeah. Um, but I had never made that connection until I was reading it. And I was like, oh, wow. How cool, right? Okay. So last time we were talking about the parting of the Red Sea, right? And the Israelites had gone through a symbol of death in the Red Sea and come out alive and free with resurrection life on the other side because of the mighty power of their God. God had shown himself as their mighty rescuer. They had experienced a miracle, but would it sustain them through the rest of their journey? Now they were headed into the wilderness, a place where most everyone dreads going. Yet God has a different perspective on the wilderness than we do. You know how we talked about the angel of death and how we have a different perspective of death than God does? God sees it as an ultimate healing, as um, setting people free, you know. Uh, But here, people don't see it that way. So when we think of the wilderness, think of it like this. It's new perspective. In Hosea chapter 2, it says, Therefore, behold, I'm going to persuade her. In the New King James, it says, I'm going to allure her. Into and bring her into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. Uh, New King James, it says, to speak tenderly to her. Then I will give her her vineyards from there in the valley of Achor, meaning trouble, as a door of hope. And she will respond there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she went up from the land of Egypt. And it shall come about on that day, declares the Lord, that you will call me my husband, which the, the Hebrew word is Ishi, my Ishi, you know? And remember, we know that Ish is man, right? So really what she's saying is my man <laughs> is my husband, okay? Ishi. Uh, but it no longer call me my Baal. Now, when we think of Baal, a lot of times we, we could read that as Baal, mm-hmm. right? Do you know that that is what the most most um, women called their husbands? Because it meant Lord, possessor, owner, master. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, and the thing is, is you know, could God say, "Call me that"? Yes. Yeah. yeah. He had every right. But what he is saying is, I don't want to be that to you. Because who wants to have an intimate relationship with a possessor, an owner, a master? No one. You can't. No. It wouldn't be because it's control. Instead, he wanted to be an intimate husband, a my man, 
and Ishi, right? I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in favor and in compassion. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord, which is Yahweh, his intimate name. Now, do y'all remember what the word for no is in Hebrew? No, no that's Greek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh? Mm-hmm. In Hebrew, what? E-I-R-E-N-E. No, that's Irene, and that's Greek uh, for peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, what it is is Yada. Oh, uh-huh. Yada. Uh-huh. And if you'll remember the letters that give you a built-in commentary for Yada, is a stretched out hand, which is a yud, that reaches out to open the door, which is the dalit, so that you can see and have spiritual insight with an ayin. To give you, yes, and only God can do that. So what we have something that we have to do in that. We have to reach out the hand to open the door so we can have spiritual insight to know him. Right? It's a partnership, but he also has to reveal it. And so the wilderness is a time where he is wanting us to be reacquainted with him. Think about it. Okay, let's have this. The wilderness is supposed to be a place of getting away from distraction. To get to know or to be acquainted with God, reacquainted with God. It's supposed to be a place of refuge and restoration with God. That has always been God's heart. The Israelites had spent much time in Egypt, 430 years to be exact. That's a long time. Now they needed to come out and be set apart to become reacquainted with their God. The wilderness is the perfect place for that. Also, the fastest way to leave the wilderness is to come to him quickly and let him show himself to you and teach you what you have come there for. What was that Hosea one? Uh, Hosea chapter 2, 14 through 19. Well, and then actually through 20, 14 through 20. Actually, that is not what that is. 14 through 16 and then 19 through 20. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. So is that a different perspective? Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, so uh, wilderness as a word is very interesting to me, you know. And uh, the things that I have actually written in my notes about that change, oh, transition, mm-hmm. growth, mm-hmm. redirection, mm-hmm. always precedes advancement. Yes. And so what did Jesus, what was the first thing that he did when he was baptized? Holy Spirit led him, is what it says, to the wilderness. It was critical Mm -hmm. to the success of his mission. Paul, when he, before he started his ministry, he spent three years in the wilderness with God. That's right. Critical to the success of his mission. Yes. He was raised in the wilderness. Yeah. That's where he was raised. Three years in the wilderness before he started his ministry. Yeah. Many people fear the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Um, 
what I've written here, it's a good place. It is. The, one of the reasons why people call it the wilderness, sometimes they will not feel God. They won't hear him. They won't sense <coughs> him. And so that becomes a lonely place. But what it does is it's like a tree. It, it makes the roots go down deeper and find him. Because if you search for him with all your heart, you will find him. And so when your roots are deeper, uh, then you will tap down into groundwater that you never would have before. And your roots will be um, doubts and different winds of different things will not bowl you over. <gasps> hey! <laughs> Good to um, see you. Oh, go ahead. So, one of the things that we tend to do as people is we tend to trust our experiences. Yes. We tend to trust the formulas that worked yesterday. And really what winds up happening for us is they'll become an idol because we'll trust them, we'll listen to them, we'll lean and rely on them. Yes, and we limit God in doing that. And and they are actually a limit for advancing forward. So the Lord will actually have to pull us away from that. So like you were talking about, periods of silence, periods where your formulas aren't working anymore. You have to do something new. That's a very, very good thing. Mm -hmm. Very good thing. Even though it doesn't feel good. It means you're about to get a whole new tool set. Yes. And you have to have that new tool set or you'll never be able to go where the Lord is leading you next. Amen. Yes. Embrace the wilderness points that you're there because the Lord loves you. Yeah. You know. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. Even though it may feel like it. <laughs> I know, like right now... Um, Alexandria, our daughter, she is uh, going through a wilderness time. And she, every once in a while, it's like she has a reset. You know, and that's what we kind of call it, is a reset. And it's where she will be going along and she'll have a group of friends and then all of a sudden, it all falls apart. Job, <laughs> friends, everybody is gone. And she has to start over. You know, but every time that happens, it's hard in the moment, but he is growing her in all of those times. And then it's like a time for a new season, but a new level. You know, it's a level up every time. And, and he does the same thing with all of us, but we have to recognize it that way. Right? Mm -hmm. All right. So let's go to Exodus 15 and somebody read 22 through 27. Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea and they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in, the, in this desert for the three days without finding any water. Then they came to the oasis of Marah. The water was too good to map up there. So they called the place Mara, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink? They demanded. 
So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it in the water, and this made the water good to drink. It was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to their testing, to test as a standard to test their faithfulness to Him. He said, "If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight, obeying His commands and keeping all of His decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you." After leaving Marah, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elam, where they found twelve springs and seventy palm trees. They camped there beside the water. Okay, so that verse 20, where it says, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and listen to his commandments and keep his statutes, then he won't put any of the diseases on you, right, that were on the Egyptians, because I, the Lord, are their healer. Remember we talked about this like, I don't know, a week or two ago? I don't even know when the last time we met. We? Not that long ago. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> but we were talking about um, the different ingredients that God told them in the law put this together. They didn't know why, but if they obeyed, they put hyssop and they put the ashes of the red heifer you know, uh, like water that had been through that, which we know caused lye, but they didn't probably know that. Uh, and they had all these different ingredients. It actually made for them um, an antibiotic. Um, antibacterial. Yes, antibacterial, thank you. Um, substance. And so, and he told them, this is when you use this, you know? And so all they had to do was obey. And so if they touched a dead body, before they could come back into the camp, they had to use this antibacterial uh, stuff, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, uh, and all these different things. And so it kept diseases out of their camp that other people didn't know. And so um, do you remember like uh, in the, oh, it, probably in the Middle Ages for sure, but it probably hadn't been that long ago, they would go and they would have doctors that didn't understand to go wash their hands. And so they would go and, and go among the dead bodies and then not wash their hands and go deliver babies and spread disease, you know. And it was more dangerous to have babies in a hospital than it was at home at the time and it, because they didn't have an understanding of those things because they couldn't see it, you know. But God knew. And so that's a perfect example of that verse in 26. If you just obey what God says to do, you don't have to understand why. <laughs> Although we want to, yeah. but you don't have to understand why. Um, and that's a lesson in itself. Embrace the wilderness. I know. Embrace the wilderness and don't have to always understand why. When God tells you to do something, just do it. Just do it. Yeah. And so, there you go. Well, think about, you know, the water. You know, a couple of verses up, the water at, at, at Mara. Mm -hmm. You know, how many people were able to drink that water after they left? Oh, I mean, you could camp out just in that for a little while. You well, know, and the thing is, is throw a little piece of wood in it. Okay, that doesn't make any sense, no, but they did it. it. That's <laughs> just it. And often the wilderness experience 
is not about you. No. And it's not about what makes sense to you. It's about God changing your thinking, changing your expectations, mm -hmm. you know. That's and true. in that process, trailblazing through you, think about it. God knew they couldn't drink the water there. And he knew they had no formula, nothing to go by. But know. he knew what he wanted to do. He knew what he wanted to do, but it's consistent with his expression through them. Yes. Through the whole journey, you know. So it became uh, a blessing through them afterward. That, that just means a lot to me hmm. right there about the waters because, you know, I mean, what what does Moses do? And, and Moses is in partnership with God in this process. He's hmm. not a robot. No. Moses is ruling and reigning as a son of God, you know, uh, pre, pre the cross, pre salvation, right? But he's ruling and reigning as a son of God as much as he can in the Abraham's covenant that he has, you know, with, with God. And yet he has to cry out to the Lord for the answer. And God is ready to give it, but not offering it ahead of time. He's honoring Moses's contribution. Yes. You know? And that's what he does with us as well. Yeah. And so God will use the delicate things in your life to, to change the world around you. He prefers to do it that way. Yes. Sorry. Go ahead. No, that's oh, true. That was, that was good. Amen. All right. So let's start into Exodus 16. And somebody read verses uh, 1 through 10. And they journeyed from Elam. And all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall <clears throat> excuse me, prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, 
that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the clouds. Yeah, thank you. So Philippians 2, 14 and 15, it says, Do all things without complaining or arguments, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Man, that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. That one's posted in my uh, No, right? <laughs> and in some translations, it'll say, uh, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Mm-hmm. Ah, no. <laughs> Man, that is just hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you know that they actually have done scientific studies <laughs> and they have found that your first thoughts in the morning, whatever they are, positive or or negative, sets you for the day. And if you will um, think about things that you are thankful for in the first thoughts of your day, intentionally, (laughs) then it will help you through the rest of the day. I like the way this one puts verse 15. It says, well, it says, so do not do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Yeah. God had just performed for them some of the greatest miracles the world has ever seen. (laughs) But they were hungry. (laughs) That feeling took over their thoughts. Then when they talked with one another about their fears and dissatisfaction, like a cancer, those fears and dissatisfactions took root and grew and grew. God doesn't want us to complain because it steals the peace and contentment he wants us to have in him. Amen? Amen. Just as he has provided for them to leave Egypt and cross the Red Sea, he would provide for them the wilderness. They couldn't see it at the time, and they may have been uncomfortable, but he was with them nonetheless. They could see him in the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. They felt his shade and warmth. They needed to learn to trust. Yet before we downplay the fears and feelings of the Israelites, we all have wonderful memories of God coming through us, uh, for us, uh, coming through for us, but find it too easy to forget and get caught up in circumstances and start to complain right alongside them. We need to learn from them. God knew their fears and frustrations. Next, we see his provision. Did he have to provide for them? Could he have just said, you bunch of complainers, I'm not giving you anything. He could have, but he didn't because he understood pictures right there. I know, weren't they? I thought they were too. <laughs> okay, so let's look at the, the provision that he gives. So look at Exodus 16 and somebody read 11 through uh, 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them in the evening you will have meat to eat and in the morning you will have all the bread you want. And you will know that I am the Lord your God. Notice that line over and over. Mm -hmm. And you will know that I am the Lord your God. Okay. 
that evening vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp. And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, it is the food the Lord has given you to eat. These are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So the, is so the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Then Moses said to them, Do not keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. But then, but by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was very angry with them. Go ahead and go to the next verse. Okay. After this, the people gathered the food morning by morning, each family according to its need. And as the sun became hot, the flakes they had picked up melted and disappeared. So isn't it cool to hear, okay, so they all had enough. Even if they gathered a little, they had enough. And too much, it was, you know, it was all just enough. But if they didn't obey and they didn't trust and they got more than they needed to try to go for the next day, then it went bad. Hmm. So is <laughs> yeah. this the manna? Yes. And do you know the Hebrew word manna? Do you know it means what is it? Yeah. <laughs> so... Manna is not anything fancy. It's what is it? Like well, that's kind of what I thought. Yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, that's what they were saying. Yeah, and it must have had everything that they needed. All the nutrients. Yeah. All the nutrients. Yeah. Yeah. Just like I know, it would be easy. Not have to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it means what is it? Yeah, manna means what is it? <laughs> When did God stop giving that? He gave it every morning for 40 years, as long as they needed it, until they went into the promised land. But before then, like, God provided manna, right? Well, they not until they got into the wilderness at this point. This, is, this was the beginning. But he gave it to them for 40 years. Before that, they were in Egypt, so they were... They didn't need it. Well, they had enough meat. Yeah. <laughs> it was while they had nothing else. Yeah. Right. That was it. That was food. The 14,600 mornings, by the way. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you go. <laughs> 14,600. It's a lot of manna. Yeah, it is. He did it all for years. He did it for. Well, yeah, for the quail. whole 40 years. I mean, he did quail. Or well, like and he only did quail for a while. Manna was the whole time. Oh. Yeah, because they finally got sick of quail, and they started complaining yeah. again. <laughs> That's later. Is a reference to them vomiting it out? Yeah, because they were so sick of, of quail. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, somebody read um, 1622 through 26. Which one? Oh, Exodus uh, 16, 22 through 26. <clears throat> On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as usual, four quarts for each person instead of two. 
Then all the leaders of the community came and asked Moses for an explanation. He told them this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Shabbat. Sabbath. <laughs> I wanted to say Shabbat. Shabbat is the Hebrew word, so oh. yeah, same thing. Oh, yeah, look at you go. <laughs> um, I knew what I was doing the whole time. Um, okay, a holy Sabbath day set apart for, for the Lord. So bake or broil, bake or boil as much as you want today, and set aside what is left for tomorrow. Where do I go? Twenty-four. Oh, to twenty-six. So they put some aside until morning, just as Moses had commanded. And in the morning, the leftover food was wholesome and good, without maggots or odor. Moses said, "Eat this food today, for today is a Sabbath day, dedicated to the Lord. There will be no food on the ground today. You may gather." The food for six days, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. There will be no food on the ground that day. Isn't that interesting? So six days a week it would come. On every seventh day, there would be no manna on the ground. Yeah, we're figuring out there a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just interesting. So they don't eat on the Sabbath. No, 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 they did. They gathered twice uh, as much on Saturday. Uh, well, no, on Friday. And then the Saturday was the Sabbath. And so and it just then they didn't have to go out and uh, gather any because they already had it. They were resting. Yeah. Not only that, there wasn't going to be any out there on the ground. No, so don't try to go gather it. So even that was miraculous. You can't blame it on something natural. No. I didn't remember that they had to cook it. Yeah. Because it, it was a, like a, a fine flour. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, and according, I didn't realize they could boil it. I mean, I, I guess to bake, to make bread. But... I found something interesting um, about the Sabbath. Uh, the Jewish, the Jews do not even use their cell phones on the Sabbath. Really? Not supposed to. Not supposed. <laughs> well, they're not supposed to. But, um, like this war, they said. That's how I found out. This war, they said we didn't have any cell phones. That's amazing. We're not supposed to do anything with electricity either, are they? Well, they're only even supposed to only walk like a, a short distance. Yeah, and it's a specific distance. Um, yeah. All right, somebody read 27 through uh, 30. Some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. <laughs> the Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. That is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day. So there will be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must eat. You must, much, you must each stay in your place. Do not go out to pick up food on the seventh day. So the people did not gather any food on the seventh day. You know, isn't that great that the Lord gave it to them as a gift? Mm -hmm. But they didn't trust that for a while. I'm sure after a while of this they did, but not at first. But it's so typical. That's so human behavior. Well, wilderness causes change. Yeah, it does. It's a process. It's true. Okay, so somebody read 31 through 36. So the people were 
rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel called the bread manna. It was like coriander coriander seed white, and it tasted like flat pastry wafers made with honey. Then Moses said, This is the word which the Lord commands. Let an owner of it be kept throughout the generations, that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness, when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. That was kept in the Ark of the Covenant later. Mm-hmm. Moses said to Aaron, Take a pot and put an, put an owner of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. Anyway, as the Lord commanded <laughs> Moses, so Aaron eventually placed it in the presence of the testimony to be kept. Uh, the Israelites ate manna 40 years until they reached an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now our owner is the tenth seven Where did you say this was kept in? Oh, the Ark of the Covenant. It was one of the things that's in it. All right, so there was a certain way this provision had to be received. It wasn't just for the taking at any time. God still does that today. God knows the best way to provide for us in every situation. If we follow his instructions, he gives us a way of life. Manna in Hebrew means, what is it? They didn't know what it was, but it nourished them completely for 40 years, giving them all they needed. It was just a foreshadow of Jesus. Jesus tells us he is the manna, the what is it, the bread of life who came down from heaven to save us because they wouldn't have understood it and they wouldn't have understood him, right? So let's look at John um, 6, 47 through 58 because this is where Jesus, he, he talks about, I am the bread that came from heaven. John 6, 47 through 58. Uh huh. John six, forty-seven through fifty-eight. Can I give you the truth? Mm-hmm. Forty-seven through fifty-eight. Fifty-eight. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. But they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. <clears throat> I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. And the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They asked. <clears throat> So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I am him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did. 
even though they ate the manna from on this mountain. So they ate the what is it, but he's the what is it, right? And even in his day, they didn't understand what he was saying. And we have a clearer picture, but it's because we're looking back, right? I'm trying to put myself in that position. I think, what if someone... Well, one of the things in Judaism, uh, it's huge. You don't uh, drink blood and you don't eat um, flesh. They didn't, you know, and so even, and and there were even the disciples, he was saying to them, well, they're leaving me. Are you going to leave me too? And they said, no, you're the one that has the words of life. We're not going to leave you. Uh, but these were hard sayings, is what he said. Um, they were culturally very hard. Very, very difficult for them. They didn't want that. Uh, and but it, he's he's explaining so much more here. Uh, and so this is the foreshadow, right? And and that's what God does. And you've seen that, you know, through time. He'll give a a, a first happening a first occurrence and then he'll build on it and then build on it and build on it you know it's what he does with the feast their appointment dates right and so same deal yes we need to read it yes and then what jesus does he's a fulfillment Mm -hmm. and then but he's not just fulfilling it one time usually he's going through it over and over and, and it's that way in our lives, too. Yeah. All right. So let's go back to Exodus and look at Exodus 17, uh, 1 through 3, where people complain again. Imagine that. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sin. By stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, encamped at the Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water so we may have something to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you tempt the Lord and try his patience? But the people were thirsty for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, why did you bring us from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Who's that? <laughs> I know, right? It's over and over. Okay, so look at verse uh, verses 4 through 7. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai, strike the rock, and water will come gushing out, Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Moses named the place Masa, which means test and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord here with us or not? 
I love that God always goes to Moses and tells him, this is what I'm going to get, do. Now go do it. <laughs> you know? I will stand before you on the rock. Uh-huh. We're going to get to that. Uh-huh. Well, if that's a Isn't song. It? Have y'all heard that song? Hold the gift. You love me on the rock. Love me on the rock. Yeah. Okay, so check this out. This pictures... I just thought that was kind of cool. Okay, why did he have to strike the rock? Okay, but who is the rock? Jesus. Jesus, Yeshua. And so, was he struck? Yes. He was struck down. He was killed. Okay, what was the sin that kept Moses from being able to go into the promised land? I know this one. Okay, go. I just told my kids this again the other day. Uh, okay. He did not... Speak to the rock. He yes. struck it again. Yes. That kept him from going in the promised land. <laughs> so he messed up the foreshadow yep. because Jesus was not going to be struck twice. Ah. He messed up the foreshadow. Moses didn't get that, but it would be passed down wrong. He was supposed to speak to it. Right? And so Israel, as a nation, okay, they struck him down the first time. And then what they're supposed to do before he comes back again is speak. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord as a group, as a nation, and he will come back immediately. They speak it and he comes. That was the foreshadow that Moses was supposed to do. Right? Yeah. Now, what's interesting, though, is the Lord who stands outside of time saw it coming, mm -hmm. knew it was going to happen, but he loved Moses enough to allow him to mess up the plan. Yeah. Moses got the choice. It he was did. not he a half to. choice because yeah. Moses was ruling and reigning as a son. Amen. That's right. Amen. God does not take away free choice. So check out these this rock, okay? Uh, taken from the Wyatt Archaeological Research's website, here are some things about this rock found at Rephidim near Mount Sinai. Other translations will say Mount Horeb. We know that Horeb and Sinai are interchangeable. They're the same place uh, of Arabia. So just over the western side of the mountain range, opposite the Holy Precinct, which is where the mountain of God would be, that's what that is, there is an area which features an incredible five to six story rock perched upon a rock that is uh, upon a hill that's about 200 feet high. This rock is split through the middle and displays the pattern of water erosion and evidence that numerous streams came forth in several directions. And again, this water flowed for a long time because enough, this, this picture is to show the erosion that came from the water coming from it. You know? That's just so cool how God does things. And it's in a high place. Yes. Yes, it is. Well, and to, it's a, I had not seen before that it's five to six stories high. That is a really big rock. Just out there, kind of just standing there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But God used it. Still there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's still there. I you can the visit. Video. Did you see it? And is there is the video yeah. a guy showing that like all the Bible things in the Bible are real? Mm -hmm. And he said that and told the story about Moses striking a rock. And like not far from there, you can see the mountain that has the charred top. Charred top. Yeah. And like below there, it says ruins of like place where they sacrificed the altar. Yeah. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. That we're getting to that because mm -hmm. that's all a part of this story. I've got a video, um, and that's what's coming up. Show you. There we go. This is amazing, folks. We are at the split in the split rock. So it's the western side of Mount Sinai. Y'all didn't see that. Split rock that Jim and Penny Caldwell found at the base on uh, the western side of the Horeb Range. Now, this is known on the maps as Jebel al Waz, and this range is the mountain of God. Now, in modern times, we name every single peak and every geological or geographical feature, but back then, they would just name the region, and sometimes they would call a whole mountain uh, range of peaks uh, one name. And so you find that in the Bible. The Israelites were encamped at Rephidim, but also says that they were encamped at the mountain of God when the miracle happened with the water coming out of the rock, and when they fought the Amalekites, and when Jethro came here with Moses' family. He says he met Moses as they were encamped at the mountain of God. And then from there, they left Rephidim and finally camped in front of Mount Sinai. And so there's two different campsites, but both are mentioned as being camping at the mountain of God. And so the only way that can be true is if you're camping on different sides of the same mountain. And you find this to be a match for that biblical record. You find this site to be a giant plain. It's on the northern route around the mountain range. It's a very dry region. And you find this huge stone rock at the base of the western side of Mount Sinai. Now this rock is on the western side of the Jebel Elaz range, which we believe to be the area of Horeb, or the mountain of God. Now, it was at this area that the Israelites complained for having the lack of water on their journey to Mount Sinai. Now, they encamped on the eastern side of the mountain, but here on the western side, it's a much lower elevation and a higher temperature most of the time of the year. And so you can see why they would complain about lack of water and the heat over here.
one thing you'll notice is that this rock stands out in one of the, the biggest natural features in this area. You have this giant rock on a hill, and it's split right down the center of it. Um, and at the base of it, you do see erosion on the rocks surrounding it. Now, some have said that oh, this was just natural erosion from wind and rain. Um, but at the same time, you know, if that much water was coming out of the rock, it could have eroded the same rock um, a much quicker. And then, of course, natural erosion could still have occurred. What is really interesting is that this rock is at the western side of Mount Sinai. So they were still encamped at the Mount of God on the other side of the mountain. So it fits exactly what the Bible says in Exodus, where it says that the Israelites were encamped at the mountain of God when Jethro met with Moses at Rephidim. And then they left Rephidim and finally made it to the wilderness of Sinai and encamped in front of Mount Sinai for 11 months. And so that was then on the other side of the mountain range on the eastern side. Well, we made it now to the base of the Slip Rock. And you can see what a view we have. We're here in Rephidim on the western side of Mount Sinai. And all around us, you see these giant plains where the Israelites would have encamped, and the battle with the Amalekites would have happened somewhere. And, of course, you do have the giant split rock of Horeb. And so as the water came out of this area, Look how small it is compared to the Israelites and given everyone plenty of water. <laughs> That's <event>. perspective. <laughs> you see how these rocks here have this erosion going on. Now, there are many rocks in this area that are deformed and eroded. Um, um, obviously natural causes, you have the wind um, coming through here a lot and some rain, but if there were rivers of water coming out of this the rock like the Bible says, then this erosion would happen a lot quicker and we still have it to this day, even with the natural erosion on top of it. This is amazing folks, we are at the base of the split and you can see it goes all the way through this giant rock that's sitting high on this hill. And this is where the Bible says Moses struck the rock and water came out in the sight of all of Israel. Now this giant rock is standing on a high hill that overlooks this giant plain that we were just exploring earlier today. Now, this is the area of Rephidim where the Israelites encamped and complained about the lack of water and where they fought the battle with the Amalekites. Now as you can see, the sun is going down behind this split rock that is standing here on a pretty high hill. In fact, you can see around me where we have this big plane that we were just exploring earlier. And so everything matches perfectly for this region. And this is why we believe that this is Rephidim. This is where the miracle of the water coming out of the rock Moses struck happened. And this is where the battle of the Amalekites happened. Okay. Well, I love those videos, but they always irritate me. <laughs> and the reason they irritate me is that nobody ever takes the camera and looks down in the middle of the slit to show you down in the middle of the slit whether or not there is an opening or a fissure that continues down into that small mountainside, you know, or what. Because, you know, it says the water came out of the rock, but did the water come out of an actual fissure underneath the rock, or was it completely supernatural and just came forth from the rock when it split it because it just kept coming? 
And I want to know. <laughs> I have to go there one day. Okay. <laughs> we'll do that party next year. Yeah. That's what that's on the list of going to. No, that was in Saudi Arabia. Oh, right. <laughs> you can't go there, right? You wouldn't want to go to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> okay, so let's look at just as the manna foreshadowed Jesus, so did the rock that produced the water that they just so desperately needed. Jesus tells us he is the rock of the life-giving water that flowed from it in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. It says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. That was the cloud, right? And the fire and uh, the pillar of cloud and, and fire. And that rock was Christ. So he's the picture in all of this, right? He's the angel of the Lord leading them. He's the manna, and he's the rock that the water came from. He's all of it. Every bit of it. Yeah. Okay, so let's keep going in Exodus, because some of the things that the guy in the video mentioned, we're going through that next. Did you notice he drove a plane? I did. <laughs> I did know. <laughs> and it looked like in the back window there was some new sticker information, and I think that would be a heck of a test drive. Oh, yes, yeah. it would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's look at Exodus 17, and somebody read 8 through 16. 8 through 16. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek mm -hmm. attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hands, the Israelite had the advantage, but whenever he dropped his hands, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up, so Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands, so his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses Write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from, you, from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. He said they have raised their first against the Lord's throne, and so now the Lord will be at war with Amalek generation after generation. Okay. So... There's actually a whole lot there that you probably wouldn't realize. Isn't that a great picture? Mm -hmm. Beautiful picture. Mm -hmm.
So the Israelites had just left Egypt and had traveled through many hardships and miles when the Amalekites attacked them from behind. They had come to be synonymous with enemies of Israel, the Amalekites had. Um, Israel was weak and defenseless, it seemed, but God was with them. Moses took his staff that he had received back from the Lord as Israel's weapon. As long as he held it raised, they had victory. But Moses couldn't handle it all alone. He needed help. Aaron and her were needed to help and support him. Joshua was also needed to lead the military campaign against Israel's enemy. God used all of them to bring about this miraculous victory. God fought for them, but he wanted their partnership in doing so. Amen? They all had a part. It was here that God introduced himself to them by a new name, Yahweh Nisi, or the Lord is my banner. Nisi in Hebrew means something lifted up, a signal, a sign, a banner, a flag. God was lifted up here. Moses' staff had become his identifying mark, his banner, so to speak. Because what it, he, that was that rod that God used for all the miracles about, right? Um, as Moses sat on the top of the hill over the, the battle, holding up God's staff, Israel prevailed. Nisi is rooted in the Hebrew word nes, uh, which is the synonym of oath, sign, miracle, token, or mark. Therefore, nes has come to mean miracle. God was performing a miracle here in declaring it with a new name the people would know him by, Yahweh Nisi. Isn't that cool? Mm -hmm. By the way, the Hebrew letters that make up the name Nisi give us a built-in commentary of more of its meaning. The letters found in Nisi are new, meaning life, Samer, which is a hand on a staff that supports it. Isn't that perfect <laughs> for what was happening? Um, it means to surround and to support, and you, which means the powerful, outstretched right hand of God. So together, Nisi is their lives being surrounded and upheld by the powerful, outstretched hand of God. That coupled with Yahweh, meaning the hand behold, the nail behold, lets us know exactly who was with Moses and the Israelites in their battle. It was the powerful right hand of God who bore the nail in his hand, Jesus. He is Yahweh Nisi, the Lord our banner, the Lord who, when raised up, brings miracles. Amen. 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 It's all Jesus. Are you seeing that? Every single part of it. You're like, wow, okay. <laughs> okay. So let's go on to Exodus 18. And let's uh, somebody read 1 through 12. Jethro's visit to Moses. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, heard about everything God had done for Moses and his people, the Israelites. He heard especially about how the Lord had rescued them from Egypt. Earlier, Moses had sent his wife, Zipporah, and his two sons back to Jethro, who had taken them in. Moses' first son was named Gershom, 
But Moses had said when the baby, when the boy was born, I had been a foreigner in a foreign land. His second son was named Eliezer. Mm-hmm. For Moses had said, the God of my ancestors was my helper. He rescued me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, now came to visit Moses in the wilderness. He brought Moses' wife and two sons with him, and they arrived while Moses and the people were camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent a message to Moses, saying, I, Jethro, your father-in-law, am coming to see you with your wife and your two sons. So so Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed low and kissed him. They asked about each other's welfare and then went into Moses' tent. Moses told his father-in-law everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and Egypt on behalf of Israel. He also told about all the hardships they had experienced along the way and how the Lord had rescued his people from all their troubles. Jethro was delighted when he heard about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel as he rescued them from the hands of the Egyptians. Praise the Lord, Jethro said, for he has rescued you from the Egyptians and from Pharaoh. Yes, he has rescued Israel from the powerful hand of Egypt. Let me read the rest of that. Oh, to 12. Uh-huh. I, know, I know now that the Lord is greater than all other gods because he rescued his people from the oppression of the proud Egyptians. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Aaron and all the elders of Israel came out and joined him in a sacrificial meal in God's presence. All right, so do you remember when we first started with Moses mm-hmm. at the beginning of Exodus? Um, at the end, do you remember he had escaped into the wilderness? He had went to the wilderness. He lived there for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Who did he meet when he got to the wilderness? Okay, but even he met her first, and then he met uh, her father, mm-hmm. Jethro. Okay, so Zipporah and uh, Jethro. Um, and he lived there for 40 years. And it was on the mountain of God that he saw the, the burning bush. It was on the mountain of God that uh, he was called to go back to Egypt. And, and then God had said to him, you're going to come back to this mountain and this will be assigned to you. It'll be on this mountain, the mountain of God. <laughs> so, do you think Jethro lived nearby? I yeah, I think he was, was pretty close by. And and so this is his area. And so Moses knew this area. And could do you think that when God called him to come to this area to the mountain of God, do you think he knew there was no water? Yeah, because he'd been there for 40 years. And do you think that he would have been like, God, are you sure? (laughs) There's no water there for all these people. They're going to want to stone me, (laughs) you know, and and that's what happened. But then God brings this great miracle from this big stone rock, right? Um, And so then he proclaims himself as uh, Yahweh Nisi, and then they have a battle there you know and it's miracle after miracle and then Jethro he comes and he's like well tell me all about it I mean right can you imagine the joy that Moses had in telling him about all this stuff this wasn't Jethro a priest yes he was and notice in that last verse in 12 
it says, and then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So he was accepted as a priest before God. And I, when I was reading uh, verse 11, I know now, Jethro saying, I know now that the Lord is greater than all other gods because he rescued his people from the oppression of the tribe of Egypt. You would think as a well, priest he would have known that before this point. Yes, I think he's just declaring that because it's thought that he was a priest of the living God. He comes from... Uh, his father was a uh, son of Abraham. So he would have uh, knew about God because of that. Yeah. He, yeah, he was just living in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. In Midian. In Midian. I'm sure he had, he had a well because remember that's where Moses went okay. and uh, helped the daughters of Jethro uh, at a well. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so let's look at 13 through um, 23. The next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw that all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all of this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law explained. You're going to wear yourself out, and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me, and get, let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them the God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. But the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go in a, go home in peace. Okay. So somebody read 24 through 27. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times. The hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. And Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way to his own land. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. He actually he gave godly wisdom, didn't he? Mm -hmm. And you know what? It's a picture to us too. Moses being a mouthpiece of God, um, he was not to do it by himself. 
that he he brought teams in just like with the the war with the Amalekites, right? It took a team of doing things. Yeah, it's good to see somebody care for Moses. Yeah, um, he needed that. And complaining. <laughs> but you know what I, I find lacking in this is that Jethro or Moses went to God to get that approval. Good. That is true. I wonder though if uh, Jethro had prayed and, and that he had heard that. I, I don't know. Yeah, I can see that though. Moses was incredibly humble. He had God with him and all the people followed him, but he was still teachable. Amen. God gave Jethro wisdom and precisely how to organize the people so that their needs could be met and would allow Moses the ability to be his best and not burned out. Uh, Moses understood the wisdom and the, and the advice and implemented it immediately. We should pray we do the same. Now there's something, too, that we need to point out in this scenario. So, so the wisdom that Moses is operating in, it's beyond him, right? Yes. And God allows his father-in-law to speak wisdom to him because, you know, Moses, like everybody else, probably has a tendency to want to rely on things that are experiential to him. Okay? Don't know that. But well, it seems that way because he struck the rock the second time. Right, right. <laughs> okay. So, so um, you know, I mean, just the other day, I had a scenario like this where uh, someone spoke a word of wisdom to me, but he presented it with a question because he was wise enough to do so, right? So he said, well, hey, well, what about such and such? Which opens the dialogue. And then I realized, oh, my Lord, I didn't see that, you know? Um, and so that changed my course of direction for the whole day today and many weeks from now. And so it's interesting that the because of him doing this change, so the father-in-law suggests wisdom that brings in health and balance, not just into Moses' life, but in the lives of everyone around him. Yes. Okay? Because there is, there is an execution of justice that is efficient, right? And so what does that do? That by default develops all of the people around Moses as well. Changes and transforms and matures them, and they start to become skilled in the wisdom Moses is operating in. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a kingdom process. God's still doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. So next time we will look at Exodus 19 and 20 uh, and some of Exodus 23 and 24. God calls Moses to come and visit with him on top top of uh, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. What a time it will be. And that, that charred place is not a shadow. It's actually black. It's charred up there. Um, the so, rock has been actually molecularly cool. changed. Yes. Yes, it has. Metamorphosized. She <laughs> smelled <laughs> like this, but it wasn't quite. <laughs> Amen. Oh.
Thank you for listening to the Las Casas Community Church Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and check out our webpage. You can sign up for our newsletter, see any upcoming events, and so much more. I hope you have a great weekend.